The world is talking. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health. The Earth has been changing since the very beginning of time. The moment the Earth began, the ecosystem was changing continually. We're going to have a lot of fun today because we're going to be talking to um, Tom Atsett, who's a PhD, and he lives in Maryland, Oregon, but this individual as one of the top individuals in the country to inform us and give us information about ecology. And today the topic will be indispensable bacteria and other microorganisms. Our second guest is going to be Art Bernstein from Gold Hill, Oregon, who's a naturalist and author. And the topic is going to be Niagara Falls and Niagara Falls Escarpment. Now, Today, we need to know that water on Earth, and I will be like a record player each show, on Earth is your ever-living existence. Every moment a person can live without food, but you can't live without that water. So you can go longer without food, but you can't go without the water. In the body, water acts as a solvent a coolant, a lubricant, a transport agent. In other words, when you absorb the water internally, like drinking those 8, 10, 12 glasses of water a day, hopefully safe water, you are able to, I will repeat, you are able to, in the body, have a solvent to cool and add a temperature guide, a lubricant to detoxify, and transport agents of detoxification through the skin and hopefully and hopefully the air has enough moisture that the air will absorb moisture through the skin and if the air is too dry and that's what we're concerned about global warming is the air could be too dry and not have enough moisture life on earth You have 50 trillion cells in your body, and that life on your life on this earth must have water every moment of the day to be able to lubricate. 1.1 billion people lack adequate water worldwide. Now, isn't that a fascination? We've been going out and spending multi-billions, trillions, on everything you can think of, and all of a sudden today we're learning about the word billions, And water is the only way our Earth will be able to exist, and the life on the Earth exists. Every week we've been talking about our population. The new population this Monday. In the U.S., there are 305,622,814 people living in the U.S. who need water. In the world, you have 6 billion 735,995,000 775,477 people worldwide who have to have water to exist. Now, without the water, the innocent individuals have a bacteria problem. A disease, diseases are common. Poor sanitation. So let's think about that every moment of the day. Hippocrates had a writing at one point 
a quality of life and some advice, how to live on this earth. Let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. And I really believe that's water. And without it, we can't exist. This earth will pass on. And I think personally it could explode because you've got to have the water. So take it serious. Look at your water every day. You drink 10, 12 glasses of water. If you're under stress, drink more water. If you don't feel very well, let the water be your medicine. Okay? Well, we're going to take a moment with our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, a natural method, green method, all natural to moisturize the eye as a supplement. Because the air is dry, the eyes can be dry. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health. And today we have Dr. Tom Atsit with us, who's a Ph.D., retired regional ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service in Southern Oregon, and he will be discussing the indispensable bacteria and other microorganisms. Are you with us, Tom? Yes, I am. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, thank you for being with us again. I always enjoy what you're adding to our information I call this our classroom. And tell us a little bit about you. And you wrote an article uh, about the uh, indispensable bacteria and other microorganisms, and I'm sure our listeners are going to be fascinated. Yes, I, uh, I write a column for uh, the Medford Tribune uh, for the uh, valley here in southern Oregon, and one of the uh, columns was about small stuff because we always – celebrate what biologists call the charismatic macroflora, which are the things that people use to get money, like polar bears and elephants and seals. and and uh, the, Now, when the you say people stuff. use to get money, you mean grants and foundation yes. research yes. funding? Okay. Can yeah. you imagine somebody saying that they wanted to... Uh, uh, fund a grant for studying bacteria, <laughs> it would probably not be received well. So we celebrate the big, the champion trees, you know, anything that's big uh, is good, and stuff that's small kind of gets uh, the low end of the totem pole or the low end of the stick, and they don't get the respect they deserve. Now let's back up for a second, too, and mention um uh, an evaluation there is that what is happening with uh, tax beneficial uh, free uh, grants and foundations that individuals can file for certain funding, and the, the easier it is to understand the the uh, reason for the funding. Like you said, it might have to be very big, fashionably chic, a topic of what everybody in the world will understand. 
In other words, if you're not a if you're not a scientist or a doctor in research, you won't understand it. But if it's something that you can touch and you can understand, it makes it much easier to get those millions and billions. Now we're learning, Tom, of money. That's right, and that's why they call it the charismatic. Do you think that's maybe why? Uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but why we're not getting to some of the research. Uh, some of the research breakthroughs because the layman wants to understand it and make it more fashionable for them to make a decision to be reelected uh, and to make those choices. So some of the smaller things, which bacteria causes an enormous amount of disease. Um, do you think it's because people are not understanding and uh, it, the small things, as you say, which bacteria is a big thing, but uh, what, what, do you, what is your answer? To, what do you think? What, let's put it this way. What are some of your theories behind what is happening, not getting the funding, funding to, dis, to discover bacteria and diseases? Well, that's, that's probably one of the problems. Uh, there are uh, uh, just an enormous number of political things that go on as far as funding research, and it's not uh, always uh, apparent. Uh, remember when the we had the Cold War uh, with the Russians, and the most of the research that was going on was about competition between uh, animals and plants. And when the Cold War was over, uh, a lot of the research turned to what we call mutualism and uh, the cooperation between. Uh, various organisms. So you wouldn't think that something like that would influence uh, research, but there was that correlation between, you know, the Cold War, we studied competition. After the Cold War, we studied more of the kind of symbiotic things that happen between organisms. So it would be very difficult to pinpoint one thing as the cause of not getting the funding that a particular uh, person wants. Mm -hmm. uh, E.O. Wilson, who is one of the prominent scientists of this century, studied ants, and he became, you know, the world expert on on ants. And so the research that he did and he sponsored because of his prominence helped a great deal. So there's so many... And ants are all over the world, aren't they? Oh, yes. And all over this planet. And one of the small things ant. that really make a difference in how the ecosystem runs. Mm -hmm. And one of the principles that everyone should remember that I would like people to go away with is that the idea of, and it's going to sound technical, but it's really very simple. It's surface-to-mass ratio. In other words you have a lot of surface. Say that you had a deer that was grazing in your backyard. The mass of that deer is very high. It may weigh uh, 100 pounds, but the surface area of that deer is very small if you compared it to 100 pounds of ants mm -hmm. or 100 pounds of bacteria. Mm -hmm. And so those small, very small organisms have more activity 
or produce more activity than the deer ever could at the same amount of mass. So because of the life of the organism, it's just absolutely almost like a little, uh, I'm going to kind of add a little uh, picture to this vision, a constant popping, new, something new constantly popping, and where the, uh, the deer is there, it's, it's already been conceived, it's already uh, in its own organism, but these tiny little organisms that are just popping all the time, are, are they uh, exposing to each other? You're going to have to help me because this is a new subject matter. This is new subject for me. But in other words, the bacteria and the organisms are just kind of like popping and changing all the time well, beyond the uh, sight of the eye. In other words, you'd almost have to put them in a Petri dish and look at them under a microscope. Well, yes, and let me, let me give you another example that okay. might help this, is that you, in high school chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, we had an experiment where we tried to light a bar uh, about the size of your finger of magnesium, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't light. Nothing would happen. But if you took that magnesium and ground it up into very, very smi- fine particles... Katie. Okay. The surface area increased tremendously, okay. and its activity increased tremendously. Okay. So if you put a pinch of uh, magnesium powder over that Bunsen burner, it would literally explode. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, okay. is that the surface okay. area to mass ratio, again, it's, a, it's like I said, it sounds complicated, but it's the idea that those thousand little ants or hundreds of thousand little ants are going to eat a heck of a lot more than that one deer that weighs the same amount. And that's very important because those microorganisms, bacteria, are what do a lot for us in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. You mentioned disease, for example. Uh, Probably only 10% of the bacteria that we know of that what we think we know is that 10% of the bacteria cause diseases, but 90% of the bacteria are beneficial. And when, you were quote, that to us. and when you were quoting figures of how many billion people were on Earth, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you think of that and you think about bacteria, <laughs> and there's not enough zeros in the universe to... Uh, count the number of bacteria that are actively uh, working in the ecosystem, decomposing and fermenting and working in, in septic tanks or, you know, developing, oh, helping us develop right. ethanol. There's just benefits that we do not uh, conceive of yet as, mm-hmm. as to what the bacteria are and their importance in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Now, is that maybe why we've always heard that your exposure to uh, bacteria throughout your life is very important to your immunity system? Oh, yes, because uh, it will, uh, you will build up antibodies to some bacteria or viruses, mm-hmm. and exposure uh, builds up those antibodies, antibodies and ends up as a defensive mechanism. Mm-hmm. So, yes. If you uh, were exposed to uh, bacteria sometimes for the first time and you don't have that immunity, uh, you are susceptible to disease. Now, there's a good example of that when the uh, Europeans uh, came into this, well, southwestern Oregon is a good example, where 
they had diseases uh, that the Indians, the natives, were not uh, immune to. Uh-huh. And so it decimated their population. Right. So, so uh, exposure to bacteria uh-huh. at an early age and... Uh, well, and that's maybe things. like uh, different people who travel around the world and they come back with yes. viruses. Yeah, it en- ends up with uh, something that's beneficial again, which is an immunity to uh, various attacks that we will continue to get because we're never going to be, you know, totally clean. Totally immune. Maybe, maybe that's also the theory, uh, and we've had doctors on that said, you know, eating the, pro- eating the foods that are closer to you. In other words, uh, all, uh, any, any of the produce or any of the eggs or whatever you're eating, try to eat it where it's been grown closer to you and doesn't have as far to go. Maybe that has some theory behind that, Tom, because your where your immunity has been yes. uh, been building up your strength of immunity system. That if you were eating what was closer to you in geography, your immunity system would be more um, adjustable to. Yes, because you are exposed to the bacteria that there we are go. around you all the time. I think we just had a very exciting evaluation here today. If you go down to Mexico or to China and you become exposed to bacteria or viruses or or other microorganisms, then you do uh, end up with uh, the higher probability of getting diseases. It's almost like allergic reaction because Uh, you haven't been able to uh, build your immunity system within a short period of time because you came from one ecology environment, ecosystem environment, and you changed. Right. And maybe that's why when my studies through the years, and you know this well, if the more safe water you're drinking every day, and then when you're changing those uh, geologic, those locations, that you need to drink a lot of safe water. Mm-hmm. And, and going back to this principle again, is I was just thinking uh, about the elections that we just had. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that uh, they give uh, Obama uh, the win uh, was the idea that he had the troops out at the ground level, the numbers, you know, kind of the surface area, mm-hmm. so to speak, so that that's what made the difference, uh, some people say. Again, it's a kind of a, another way of looking at this principle that the small stuff, mm-hmm. the individuals, the, the small stuff that are, are very active mm-hmm. run the world. Mm-hmm. And so we might be able to Those do... Those microorganisms with, in our soil and in our water and our every, air and everything. We, oh, there's yes. a small, you can't, it's because you can't really touch it. But it becomes a volume. Yes, and there, and there you are. And when you think about uh, your digestive tract, mm-hmm. you depend on about 50 or more species of bacteria to help you digest. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about, uh, say, some of the foods we eat, like uh, wine or cheese, uh, we depend on the bacteria for fermentation mm-hmm. and processing. Mm-hmm. So they're just everywhere. In fact, when you think about it, there are, if you took all the weight of the bacteria all over the earth, 
they would weigh more than all the vascular plants, the trees and the shrubs and the grasses and everything that we know as plants, mm -hmm. even though we think of them as a great deal of volume and weight, uh, estimations now are that the bacteria in the earth, in the rocks, on the surface, in the air, would outweigh all of those vascular plants. So they're just everywhere. We're going to take a break with our sponsor, but when we come back, let's educate our um, audience about this because this is very, this is making common, this is common sense. It's kind of like you said, we just had in America our, our election time, uh, which lasted over t two years. Some of the candidates spent over a billion dollars for the first time in history to saturate out there in the population. <laughs> to be able to uh, um, be, for people to be able to communicate, and uh, now we're coming into with this show talking about what we can do with no money and be able to educate people uh, that money can't buy you know uh, knowledge like this. And this is something that's so interesting to me that you say, which, which is, uh, we had in here in your comment, as Rod, Rodney Dangerfield has once said, the small stuff gets no respect. And it's sad that we're having to spend so much money today all over the world in the billions for people to learn what is so important to the common sense of their life on this earth, Tom. Mm -hmm. Let's come back and let's add on to what more you wanted to teach us. We're going to listen to our sponsor, uh, Nature's Here's Eye Mist, a natural method of moisturizing the eyes with a supplement because of the dry air. We'll be right back with Tom Atsit. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. I want to welcome you back to the Sharon Klein Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health. Today we have Tom Atsett, who is a retired regional ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service. He's a Ph.D. And we're learning more about the indispensable bacteria and other microorganisms that have more weight on this earth than any of the population that's here. Tom, when you, we took our moment here, we were talking about something that was so interesting, that um, when we move from one geographic location, either going on a vacation, even maybe on a plane, but to another spot on our planet, people are very allergic and not immune to diseases, and they come home with very serious, sometimes very life-threatening diseases because they were not immune to the bacteria of that side of the planet or even in that plane. You've heard about problems with your health uh, because of the immunity uh, of the problems on on board the plane. Yes, I have. And, uh, and you know, one of the things I learned is, you know, because when the air is dry, your skin is shedding, flora, and when skin sheds and it's all over that plane, and how could they possibly vacuum up enough skin shed, shedding in the plane that when you get on, if your immunity system is 
is, uh, let's say, has not the same defenses that some maybe somebody else does, you're, you could uh, uh, you would have a could get a virus, you could get a common cold, let's just say. Uh, you could they even had a, a disease at one time uh, that it was one passenger had that. A disease that and that was the uh, tuberculosis. It is tuberculosis. I wasn't going to say, but it, tuberculosis that more people would get tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now uh, that happens moving around on the planet. And then I mentioned that I have heard many stories through many years, and doctors and uh, really specialized people have said it's really better to eat your food closer to where you're living. And I'm believing after what you're teaching me that it's because of the bacteria in the soil and the other microorganisms that we're learning to be more immune to what's closer to us than that it has the distance that we haven't become adjusted to yet. Yeah, there, definitely. And, and uh, when again, just thinking back about your uh, number of people that we have in this country and on the earth, uh, there are, when you talk about the number of bacteria in the soil, there's there's actually billions of bacteria in just a spoonful of of soil, and so the numbers again are are what important, even though they're so small. Mm-hmm. The other the other thing that is important in this discussion is not only are they small, but they're extremely fecund. They uh, can produce. Uh, just one heck of a lot of bacteria in a short period of time. One estimate was that in seven hours, a particular bacteria could produce a million individuals. Seven hours, a million individuals. Hmm. Could you imagine what it would be like on Earth if we were that fecund? I mean, it would be just, uh, we would have overpopulated the Earth in just a 24-hour period. Uh-huh. Uh, because they, uh, the way they, they reproduce, they divide. In other words, you say that bacteria needs no help. Oh, that's that's. It can true. reproduce itself with or without you. Yes, that's right. And so when we, I, uh, in that uh, column that I wrote, I talked about the Northwest Forest Plan, where there was no uh, chapter on bacteria, and basically. We don't have any bacteria that we know of that are threatened and endangered. Now, they could be, but uh, since they produce, reproduce so well and they mutate so well, uh, we have no idea of the species of bacteria that are out there. Mm-hmm. And so bacteria is just one of the small things that we know very little about. And again, you know, like, like you mentioned, the small stuff gets no respect. Uh, we didn't. We don't uh, really pay a lot of attention to it because it doesn't need a lot of help. Mm-hmm. But the important thing. Well, is, now wait a minute. This, and maybe it doesn't need any help. But we obviously don't have enough understanding. There you go. That's probably. Uh, and and, one and of there's the most where I get a little exhausted um, in what I do in the water subject of water. Because people have no respect in the fact that water can save a life or destroy a life. Mm-hmm. And if you're not drinking enough water and you're not making sure your water is safe and you're not looking at the seriousness of water on the planet, 
that it could save lives and save the planet. Yeah, it is one of the basis. And as we talked about before, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, it is on the bottom rung. You just one of the uh, and you can think it's also back to what you, what you described earlier, the small stuff. I honestly have to tell you, you this is a fat, wonderful topic today. I found in my studies that most people that give all those grants and all that foundation money and all those things they do to raise the money and live on and get those salaries and live, uh, live that they're raising millions and billions of dollars for what they call big stuff and nothing, and not enough for the small stuff because without the water, there is no life. You can't save the earth and you can't save a life. Mm-hmm. And then, without, like you said today, bacteria, 10% is not good, but there's 90% that's out there. We're not learning enough about bacteria and the microorganisms. That could, this could be a lifesaver, too. Yes, and, and we, are, uh, we are beginning to learn more because we're finding that, say, uh, sewage treatment mm-hmm. or just treatment of toxic materials mm-hmm. is uh, a really a ripe area for bacteria, bacterial research. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's water treatment systems now that do not use like septic systems. Mm-hmm. They take about an acre of land mm-hmm. and the right plants and bacteria and the water comes out drinkable. Abby, is this why lately they've been, you've been hearing more reports on the fact that they're finding that all the medication that individuals are taking, they're finding that medication by trace amounts, of course, in the water you're drinking? There, yes, there are some places that that occurs. It, there's a lot of uh, materials that we, we end up with in our drinking water that we don't take care of well, and, and uh, medicines are, are, are part of that, mm-hmm. and particularly the medicines associated with uh, uh, raising of... Uh, stock and animals for uh, consumption. And now, you so, have in your article here uh, uh, that uh, the uh, that bacteria is only has only been half of the life of, of the planet. Uh, yeah, that's about uh, as far as we know. But when you think of that, that the planet's four billion years old, so that bacteria has been around for at least two billion years. Uh huh. And, yeah, okay. And when I, one of the things I, I don't want people to forget, we are kind of centering on bacteria, mm-hmm. but uh, I do want to celebrate the small stuff, too. And the small stuff, like I mentioned, the ants. And when you talk about bees, for example, uh, they are of, uh, one heck of a, uh, a boon to uh, agriculture. Mm-hmm. And bees pollinate... Uh, the plants, and we could not do without the bees, and that's why we've been hearing about this, the hive problems where the bees are not coming back to the hives. And when you think about the uh, cost there, uh, they pollinate about $14 billion worth of crops every year. So here are these little bees that we don't think about. Now, they're getting more research because of this uh, very uh, visible uh, problem with the bees. But generally speaking, it's one of the smaller things that we don't think about that 
uh, really help run the big things. And when you think of, say, the uh, on the oceans, the phytoplankton, if it wasn't for the phytoplankton, which are the little microcellular organisms, if it wasn't for them, uh, we wouldn't have a food chain. They're the bottom of a food chain, and they're what make the ocean uh, viable. Now explain that to our audience of laymen that wouldn't understand what you just said. Well, we've got these, uh, probably people have heard of red tides and and uh, the um, small little organisms that are all over the ocean, multi multicellular sometimes and sometimes single cells. And the food chain depends on these little things to be eaten by progressively bigger organisms. And so without the phytoplankton, which is the small plants, extremely small plants in the oceans, the oceans would, uh, the ecosystem would col- collapse. Okay. And so, when you, again, just comparing it to, say, if we lost the polar bear, for example, mm-hmm. there would be repercussions, but mm-hmm. the ecosystem wouldn't collapse. But if we lost the phytoplankton, the oceans would be, possibly be sterile. You know, you can't say for sure on that, but still. But it's a theory that they've been studying. Yes. So uh, it's very uh, important to think about this, again, the surface area to mass ratio, the small stuff, and how important they are, and how we give a lot of credit to the, the charismatic big things and little attention to the small things that are really the most important uh, as far as ecosystem processes. Now, you mentioned in your article that cockroaches have been around for about 300 million years and crocodiles live with the dinosaurs. What is it that a cockroach uh, originated 300 million? What happened for the cockroach to be there 300 million years ago? What were you trying to teach us? Well, in in that particular part, I was talking about the idea that the brains of some of the ancient organisms, the cockroach and the alligator, are extremely small. And that kind of fit with the column that I was writing about small stuff. And I kind of I made the point that uh, there is an inverse relationship to uh, the amount of time an organism spends on Earth and brain size. So in other words, the bigger the brain size, the smaller the time that organism or species has survived on Earth. And that's kind of a general uh, uh, relationship. But what it's saying is that cockroaches have survived for millions of years, but we haven't been around for that all that long. And if brain size tells us anything about survival, we probably won't be around for very much longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that is just, again, that's just a correlation that's kind of a fun thing to think about. Mm-hmm. So that... Uh, now, you said also there are a million... Uh, uh, there's over a million um, bacteria in a drop of saliva mm-hmm. and a billion in a gram of soil and possibly a trillion in our bodies. So that's where... What that we were saying today, that if your body is building up an immunity system, you must have some 
of the good bacteria. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and have then, you have you ever noticed that sometimes when you take an antibiotic uh, that uh, you have secondary effects because you're not only killing uh, the uh, target organism or the bad organism, but you also end up killing the good. And so sometimes when you take an antibiotic, your digestive system doesn't work as well as it should. Mm-hmm. And there may be other side effects of that. Mm-hmm. And so, again, all of those bacteria that are in your digestive system or in your uh, bowels or on your skin are there, and most of the time they serve a what we would call a good purpose. Mm-hmm. And I so, see. you know, part of that is uh, our how we determine good and bad by our own needs, but uh, it's serving the needs of the bad bacteria to infect to infect us. So it's good for them, but bad for us. So you have to kind of think about of a, a point of view mm-hmm. in that case. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, generally you're right is that we have trillions of bacteria mm-hmm. in our body and we depend on them. And that's how we have to build, we must build up an immunity system. But I'm back to the water again. Um, that's why I became so involved with our whole life and our research center. And water, water, water is because with abundant amount of good, healthy, safe water to drink every day, and we need to have that moisture in the air we can't see um, to, to lubricate, we're back to uh, the water is the solvent to lubricate to assist all this, Tom. Mm-hmm. Without yeah. the water, you can't... You can't, how would you keep the good bacteria producing and, excar- and, 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 and um, detoxify that 10% bad? Yeah, and that's probably a universal need for bacteria, too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This is what you've taught me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it would, back to the ants. Earth would not be able to survive without the ants, would it? No. Because that, now, I'm gonna, you're going to teach me, I hope, something. So at the end, you know, you can go out to the remote anywhere in the world, and here's going to be an ant. Yes. And we always want to kill the ant. Yes. <laughs> and uh, because they're bothering us. They're uncomfortable to us. They remind us of itchy. Well, uh, and they remind us of something that is absolutely annoying. But without ants, and they're all over the planet, there would not be the movement of, uh, and, I, if, and correct me, of the bacteria. Yes, and, and I would Did, did to, I say that correctly? Yes, and, and the, uh, that's p- part of it, but the bacteria can move in air, too. Okay. But, uh, you know, when, when I think of ants, I think of all of the social insects. And now, what, have, what are all the social insects? Pardon? What are the social insects? Well, the, the bees uh, that do the, the pollination, the wasps, the termites, the ants. Termites, all of those. What about a cockroach? No, that's a different. That's, that's a, a different, different order. That has nothing to do with that. Okay, yeah. but the the uh, well, the reason I brought insect, it up is because the cockroach is so old. Pardon? Uh, the reason I brought up cockroaches because they're over three hundred million years old. Yeah, and there's not very many species that survived in pretty much the same form uh, and configuration as like alligators and cockroaches, mm-hmm. but uh, there are some. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the uh, the social insects. If you go back and say in that, if you just removed all the social insects from the ecosystem, 
uh, it would be hard for me to understand how it could survive. The same thing with the bacteria. But these are part of the things that I was talking about when I was talking about the small stuff. Okay. Is that those social insects, even though they sting or they, like the termites, they get annoying. Yeah, they digest wood and we try to kill them. Mm -hmm. Overall, they're a benefit to the ecosystem and we couldn't survive without them. And you probably couldn't kill them all anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Or or let's just say get rid of them. I I don't want to use that word. Now, you mentioned something about basically the DNA in a capsule, uh, a capsid. Mm-hmm. Explain that to me. Well, uh, that was, uh, we were talking about viruses where uh, that just about all a virus has is uh, it's a little capsule, so to speak. Uh, if you could think of a pill, you know, and it has uh, that is a that time release pill and has these little things inside them, the little, you could shake the pill and you could see these little balls. Okay, uh, DNA, uh, a capsid for a virus is like that. It has the DNA kind of enclosed in this little hard shell. And all it is is DNA. So that's why everybody's DNA is so unusual because of your, uh, um, now you're going to have to help me, because of our uh, ability to uh, reject uh, the bacteria. No, uh, no. Uh, the DNA is probably diverse because of evolution. Okay. okay. But generally speaking, uh, when you have a virus, the reason you get infected by viruses is they don't have any organs in their in that little capsid. Okay. All they have is in DNA, and so they have to inject that DNA into the body of someone mm-hmm. in order to kind of uh, reproduce and uh, accomplish their their cellular functions. I see. And, and so that's very different than, say, some of the other organisms that are one-celled orga- organisms that have DNA, but they also have what they call mitochondria that kind of uh, produce uh, uh, protein in order to survive. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's just different uh, levels of life and uh, that classification has been changed around. That's a whole other topic. Well, they say the essential components of necessary life yes. to maintain our body are oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, hydrogen equals protein. Then you've got oxygen, carbon, hydrogen. That equals to the carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Oxygen, hydrogen, water. Air, water, protein, and carbohydrates. In other words, this all is a relationship to that under understanding of bacteria and microorganisms. You've got to have it to have life. Yes. Am I wrong? No, I don't think so. You got okay. it. Water, like I said, is one of Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, and you said you could survive a couple of days without it. And probably the one the one thing that you could survive the least amount of time without is air. Yes. I, I, I mean, so it's right there on the basis, basic. And so bacteria are usually uh, almost everything that I could think of uh, needs moisture in some... Exactly. Uh, well, there would yeah. be no oxygen in the air if there wasn't moisture in the air. Well, that's part of it, yes. Yes. Well, Tom, I, you really helped us. I, let's do this again. I, I learned so much, and I'm sure our listeners do too. And and we're always hoping our listeners are left with using their own independence of thinking and, and evaluations and theories and become 
also uh, in tune what this planet has to learn and what makes their life that much more important to affect the ecosystem. Yes, if they, if they, like we talked about in one of our sessions, is become critical thinkers, evaluate what they hear today, mm-hmm. uh, try to get more information, and, and uh, learn to live learn. with Earth because it's not going to live with you. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it will, but you're not going to. You don't try to make the decision for it. No. Well, you have a nice day, and I sure appreciate all your knowledge. Well, thank you for the time. I had fun. You have a nice day, Tom. You too. Bye. Bye. Wow. Well, I learned a lot. I hope you did. That was maybe a little heavy, but we got a lot. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, for naturally moisturizing the eye with a supplement of all-natural tissue culture grade of water. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to have Art Bernstein teach us about Niagara Falls. We're listening to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. back to the Sharon Klein Hour. What a show today. Uh, Art, are you with us? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. And, oh, I really, I know you know Tom Atzett. Uh, he's a PhD. Oh, yeah, Unbelievable information. Uh, I really enjoyed learning more about bacteria and other microorganisms. I'll never look at it the same. <laughs> you chose Niagara Falls for us today. But you also chose, uh, it says Niagara Falls and the Niagara Escarpment. Yeah, that's the cliff that the falls falls over. Okay, they call that, how do you pronounce that? An escarpment is just a, another word for a cliff. Okay, I'm glad you uh, gave us that definition. Now, Niagara Falls, uh, why did you choose it today? Um, it's very, very interesting, especially the Niagara Escarpment. Mm-hmm. Um, this cliff runs from... It follows the southern shore of Lake Ontario, mm-hmm. then it goes across in the Niagara River, which is where Niagara Falls is, which collects, connects Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's partly, it affects, it's in Canada also? Right, right. So the, 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 the escarpment turns north, mm-hmm. uh, Niagara Falls goes over it, and then it continues, and it runs out the Bruce Peninsula into Lake Huron that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it runs across Manitoulin Island. It runs across southern Michigan, and I've seen it there. If you go over the Mackinac Straits Bridge from the lower peninsula of Michigan to the upper peninsula, the first thing you see are these series of white limestone cliffs. Mm-hmm. Those are the same cliffs that Niagara Falls runs over. And it's limestone again. Yes, uh, dolomite limestone. We've been learning, very a, lot, hard. learning a lot about limestone. And, uh, the, uh, the reason it forms cliffs is there, there's a cap rock. Mm-hmm. It's very hard and it erodes very slowly. Mm-hmm. Now the so history of the, the rubble at the base erodes faster than the cap rock breaks off. Now, did you, when you were studying to give us this classroom today uh, with Niagara Falls in America? The, well, let me finish. How did they? Okay, go ahead. Um, the actual escarpment is a thousand miles long. 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, it ends up, it goes down the Door Peninsula in Wisconsin. It goes across Wisconsin, ends up in Illinois. So oh. it goes from uh, upper New York State, completely around the Michigan Peninsula, ending up in Illinois. I see. But the waterfalls itself is not going over that. No, there are several other rivers that also fall over the Niagara Escarpment. Okay, okay. But uh, Niagara Falls, this is the, the, the river between Lake Huron and Lake, or Lake Erie and Lake Ontario mm-hmm. is an immense river that carries a lot of water. Mm-hmm. So those falls are, are huge. Now, I, what, what I was going to ask you is in the uh, Industrial Revolution, then, when they found, uh, let's say they found that they could use the Niagara Falls for a benefit. Right. And uh, in the 19th century here in America, could, did you get any information about how to, to, to teach us what they decided to do with this magnificent body of power of hydraulic water? Uh, well, there, I mean, it's one of the major power plants in, yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. So you know, it still is, and it has been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So it's all wired. Uh, so did they have to go through and get special... Um, let's say, government permission uh, to I'm be... I'm sure they did. I actually didn't have any idea. Okay. okay. They, they, they divert the water, and then they flow it over turbines instead of over the falls. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it says here that Niagara Appropriations Bill was signed in law in 1885, creating the Niagara Reservation, signifying possibly the most important event in Niagara Falls history in New York um, <laughs> to be able to uh, learn how they could use this body of hydraulic water. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the power uh, generates a lot of power because it's, it's one of the largest waterfalls in the world as far as volume of water. Now, when it, it originates up in Canada, now, do you know where the headwaters begin up in Canada? I mean, okay. of the whole water system? Uh, no, the, the the river that the Niagara Falls is on connects Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, the two great lakes. Mm-hmm. So there, uh, and then it has this cliff running up the middle of it. Now, what's happening is that the river is eating into the cliff, so that uh, the cliff used to be right on the edge of Lake Ontario, and now it's 30 miles from Lake Ontario. Well, what I'm after here, and let's see if you know how to answer, if it's possible, or we could do it another show, but... This is an enormous amount of water, probably the most amount of water in the whole United States. In a, in yeah, a powerful it's the most, it's the most it's, uh, half a million cubic feet per second. It's okay, the now, most and what I'm asking waterfall is, in North America, when you're but studying, not the highest. Yeah, when you're studying the uh, origination of something at all, you <laughs> want to go back as far as you can, so therefore I'm going back to where this water originates. Okay. Where does it originate from the very drop? Where does it begin? Lake Erie. Lake Erie. So then where does the water for Lake Erie originate? Um, probably in Lake Superior and the, the rivers in Canada that feed into okay, Lake Okay, we're Superior coming back into the unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and then from there it flows out the St. Lawrence River. Into okay, the, up in Canada the then it has a drop begin. Do you understand how that dr- where that drop began up in Canada with all that abundant amount of water? There's also a drop uh, where when it goes from uh, Lake Superior into Lake Huron. Mm-hmm. It That's drops in America. It actually drops more than the Niagara Falls drops. Mm-hmm. Now explain that. Uh, well, 
the, the river, the, the, what's it called? The St. Mary's River, I think, um, that connects uh, Lake Superior, which is the far northern Great Lakes, with Lake Huron mm-hmm. um, at Sault Ste. Marie. Um, that drops about 200 feet. But it's not a falls, it's a rapids. It's called the St. Mary's Rapids. So that particular one influences Niagara Falls. Uh, That's what I'm asking. Only in the, yeah, it contributes water to it. Okay, because now, what what's I, really interesting is, like I said, that the the, the falls are slowly working their way up uh-huh. the Niagara River. Uh-huh. As soon as it works all its way up to Lake Erie, theoretically, Lake Erie will then dump all its water immediately into Lake Ontario, and Lake Erie will cease to. And exist. then Lake, Lake Ontario, Ontario dumps it where? And then Lake Ontario dumps it where? Lake Ontario dumps it into the uh, to the St. Lawrence River. Okay, and then the so St. Lawrence... Theoretically, when that happens in a million years or two million years, Toronto will be underwater, Montreal will be underwater, and Buffalo will be underwater. And what's the theory behind that? Because Niagara Falls is working its way up the Niagara River. The falls are retreating because it's eroding the cliff. Oh, so the falls, what you mean, it's, ex- it's expanding... In size, not uh, no. Uh, the falls stay the same, but it's 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 as it as it flows over the cliff, the Niagara Escarpment, uh-huh. it erodes the rock away. Okay. So every few thousand years, if you look at it, uh, the falls are farther upstream. They're not located in the same place. Okay. Now the nature of the rock is going to keep on being a cliff. Because it's limestone. Because it's it's. It's very hard. The, 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 the top rock is harder than the bottom rock. Okay. So that uh, the top rock is slower to erode away than the bottom rock is. That abundant but, but, amount of water, you know. But, but, but I, as we speak, it's eroded upstream about 30 miles. So uh-huh. it's about maybe a third of the way. Uh-huh. But, but when it keeps eroding so that the falls hit uh, Lake Erie, mm-hmm then all of Lake Erie is going to suddenly dump into uh, Lake Huron, Lake Ontario. Uh-huh. Now, that abundant amount of water, people are always so surprised <laughs> when I say, look at the mountain and see the, the streams that flow year-round. Some, uh, they're still flowing throughout the summer. Oh, absolutely. And yet that's the top of that mountain doesn't get any snow. And people always think of the water, uh, snow influencing the amount of the water, and yet... Where does that water come from when there is no snow at the top I've of that I've wondered mountain? about that, and I have my doubts. Uh, where we live, people always say, oh, there's a heavy snowpack, so therefore there's going to be a lot of water flowing. And I don't think personally that the amount of snowpack, the amount of snowpack affects the amount of water that flows in the rivers. I think the amount of rainfall affects it a lot more. Well, the snowpack has an absorption into the earth that uh, does yeah, have... You get a big runoff. Uh, if there's a lot of snowpack, you get a big runoff for a couple of weeks in, in May and June. But it does absorb into the earth and ma- maintain a re- reservoir of water within Some the earth. Well, it does, but uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of spring rain will do more than... Well, these spring rains, they'll run over the surface of the earth, whereas the snow just absorbs into the earth, where rain just fl- goes right over the surface. And, and that's why in our particular area we get those floodings because it can only absorb so much. And yeah, then all of a sudden, hydrologists probably would totally disagree with me. 
Yeah. But I yeah. think the the effect of snowpack is overrated. Huh. Well, I kind of go with it because I've seen in my studies that the snowpacks up in the higher mountains, uh, hydro, uh, absorption into the soil and, and down into the aquifers below them uh, have an enormous amount of impact because that yeah, moisture think, is, uh, is melting down, absorbing into the soils, and the soil has a lot of influence in the rock into the, with those aquifers. That's probably true, but I think rain in the spring and fall is more important. It is important, it but I don't know more about than, more. Than snowpack. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about more. For, and then the temperature of the water is so important, because if you notice the temperature of the water, if there's been a good snowpack winter in the mountains, the temperature of the water stays a little cooler. That could be true. I, I have no... And know. the water is so important. But we were just learning from Tom, too, some of the bacteria and microorganisms. But remember, warm, warm water grows more bacteria, and cooler water obviously has better bacteria in it than the, uh, the right. bacteria that we obviously are, uh, have a lot of allergic to reaction to if people are swimming in it, if yes. the water gets too warm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, spring water is colder than uh, than water in the fall, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Now, in uh, to, to kind of complete our Niagara Falls education, now when Niagara Falls comes over the falls, where does it end up? Uh, it goes through the canyon, and then it comes out in Lake Ontario. Huh. Well, I'm. I we have like to I go. Said, I've just got my little. Uh, notice here that uh, I have to go, but we'll come back to this at some time. I would love to study more about limestone art for our right. listeners because we've been hearing a lot about limestone at the bottom of the lakes. And oh, well, limestone know. is uh, basically old seashells. Mm-hmm. Let's learn uh, more about it on a show. Formed in ocean bottoms. Well, thank you for joining us. I really Absolutely. enjoyed it. Love it. You have a nice day. You too. What a show! I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I hope you did, too. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave your footprint. I attended a memorial service yesterday for Colin Thomas Gillespie, who was only 18, who passed away with a car accident that was not an intentional. It was an accident. I mean, not. An, it was an accident. He didn't do anything wrong. They said he embraced his life every single moment, and if we could all learn from his life of that embracing and that moment, he enjoyed every minute of it to reach 18 years old. Let's learn from each other, those who have enthusiasm, who have compassion, love this earth, and love what's around them, and enjoy it, even if you live to only be 18. Have a nice day. World Talk Radio, Studio A.